All right. Did you do any prep for this one? Uh, I just did some writing, um, and I have a weird prompt of a question. Hmm. Um, if you want to go there, but uh, let's go there. Okay. Actually. Um, I think this is related. If not, that's the magic of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about objective statements. Um, I mean, like literally statements that are labeled objective colon at the beginning of mm. resumes. Oh, <laughs> is this still yeah. a thing? This is still a thing. Okay. Um, it's a little bit, as I understand it, and uh, I'm not an expert, although um, for listeners who are not um, following me around all day or listening to every episode of this podcast and obsessively writing down details of my life, I have done a little bit of this professionally as well, so I'm not a complete neophyte either. Um, I, I have written resumes for people um, for money multiple times. And uh, I've done a lot of reading on the subject, so I can I can definitely mm-hmm. say there are multiple opinions of this. Yes, um, please. Of, of whether this is this is a good thing or a bad thing. Personally, um, it is still a thing. I fall down on the side that says it's a bad idea. Mm. Um, I think it is a great idea for you as a job seeker to have an objective, and I think it's good for you to think about what you want in a job and why, um, which I think is going to be our topic, the question of why, but. Uh, um, I think anything you put down in a resume statement is going to be redundant. Well, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be redundant to the fact that you have sent this resume to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I am seeking an exciting position in a growing firm doing public relations. Hopefully and this one. I have applied to your growing firm for a public relations job. So you already know that. Uh, so at best it's redundant and at worst it, it can, it can actually do a little bit of damage if say your objective statement is off purpose to what they want. Mm. Um, you know, if they are looking at the job that you're going into as something they want somebody in for a couple of years so they can give you long hours and chew you up and spit you out and they don't really care about your career progression, they don't really want to see, uh, too much ambition, or too specific of an end goal that is beyond the the stage of the job that you're applying for, because then they might feel like you're not a great fit for that. Um, you know, and conversely, like you might you might say, I want a job like X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z is the job description. They might actually be thinking, well, what we're really looking for is someone we can groom to be a manager of people who do X, Y, and Z two years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And and again, I think most of the time it's merely redundant, not damaging. But but I do think that's really the, those are the two things you get out of an objective statement. Um, mm-hmm. It's redundant to the fact that you have applied for this job, or it's it's contradicting um, the goal of actually you know what they're looking for in somebody who does this job. Mm-hmm. Um, that it might be doing you a disservice. Right, totally doing you a disservice. I think why people put them on, they put them on for two reasons. Number one, a lot of uh, resume examples and even resume books say to do it. Um, I think it's a bad idea, but it is out there. Uh, and number two, there's other things that I think are beneficial at the top, and I think people just don't always know which to do, so they, they go with objective. Um, mm. You know, I think a summary statement is better. Uh, I generally do a short, short summary statement, and I don't label it summary. Mm. Um, you know, I just have a sentence at the top of just about everyone I've prepared, um, sort of giving the the – uh, resume keyword search engine buzzword friendly version of what the person is all about mm-hmm. in one sentence. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, what was the question? Yeah. So, um, my <laughs> string of questions was function question mark. How mm. common question mark mm-hmm. tradition versus actual valuable practice question mark. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about that particular artifact mm-hmm. um a student who's going into a field that i've never helped anyone prepare for that field before um mentioned it and i sort of made a face and so she wanted to know oh is that is that not a thing i think people <laughs> do it is that not a thing oh and no I, it's it's 100 percent a thing um, mm-hmm. yeah. no and i yeah i've seen it before um i just have never seen it used effectively and i've been on the hiring side mm-hmm. of of many oh, committees totally. actually yeah, well, and I, I think, too, um, and you don't need to get too specific if you've seen real examples of this, um, although just between you, me, and the listeners, I know you have. Uh, I, it also sometimes becomes, um, I, I mentioned, like, you know, 
making making a summary statement that's that's keyword friendly um, for for resume search engines. Uh, it can also become sort of a buzzword bingo space. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, looking looking to growth hack for a startup with limitless runway. Mm-hmm. Looking to be a, a a collaborative part of synergy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's the best way to go about synergy because otherwise the synergy machine will just suck you in and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, assimilate you like the Borg. Uh, yeah. Matrix and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. The robots are here. Mm. I think you're thinking of Tron. Synergy robots. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think we might have a toy line in there. Yeah. I mean, Christmas is coming, so... Yeah. Uh, is it? <laughs> Are you going to cut this out? <laughs> Just so it can be even more timeless. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think some of this is probably going <laughs> to drop a marker, hit the, hit the floor. You yeah. betcha. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a, since we're probably going to cut this anyway, I'm trying to think of a good bridge. Um, uh, I can, I can bridge us into okay. other stuff unless you have somewhere in particular trying to bridge to. No, no. It was just, I thought a, a nice little attention getting the, the bridges of Madison, Katie. Okay. That needs to stay in. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Objective, colon. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 42. So I do think I, I did sort of hint at, you know, something in there, though, that I think is good. Um, there's good part of Part of the impulse of objective statements that uh, that I do think is good is having an objective. And, and even more than having an objective, um, I think, in a job hunt or anything else you do, I think it's a good exercise to ask why. Um, why are you applying for this job instead of that one? Or why do you hope you get this one instead of that other one you also applied for? Um, why do you need a job at all? Uh, and I, I think often those will have um, somewhat sad or frustrating answers, but I think it's, I think it's, good, to, it's a good exercise to ask the question because um, mm-hmm. I think you'll get slightly – if you ask it and you answer it honestly, I think you'll get slightly different answers um, about what you should be doing to achieve that mm-hmm. if you do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting too because – thinking in terms of there are lots of perspectives here, right? Sometimes the true and honest answers would never be the things that you say to a potential employer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there are, there are situations where um, it's okay to be realistic about, um, yeah, well, I, I need income right now and this provides mm-hmm. income. Um, you I know, have probably... to pay my mortgage and right. uh, I am not qualified for anything else you've posted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But this could be okay, and I'd be okay at it, and I would show up on time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes those those honest answers would be okay and fitting to say. Um, maybe oh, not quite like that. Um, but it's interesting, too, to think of the different layers of why. Um, because you should be able to – I keep thinking the word justify, that you should be able to – have your reasons in mind, but you should also have a version of those things that you're willing to talk to people about. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking too vaguely. I don't know. Mm, I, I don't think so, though. I mean, justify um, it's an, it, it justifies an interesting word, and it makes me think of uh, rationalize, mm-hmm. um, which I, one thing I will say that, I mean, obviously I bring up, you know, various psychology things and and cognitive biases all the time. One I'll mention is um, one thing to be aware of if you're asking why is that we don't always really know what our real reasons are. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason it's a good good thing to ask why. But also keep in mind that if you've already kind of decided on a course of action or a goal, uh, likely as not as you start asking why what you will come up with are going to be good reasons to do it, even if it's not really the right thing to do. Um, Where our brains Mm. are great rationalizing machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as justification goes, I mean, that's one, one reason why I think asking why, you know, in, in, we'll go from career to just business in general, you know, say you're in an organization, 
the ability to ask and answer why is, I think, a big a big part of um, the skill of justification, mm-hmm. and that's that's important. Um, if you're in an organization that is considering three different potential software projects to you know improve your synergies and enhance efficiencies and net net something something um, quarterly results, then the the better that you can justify your project over the other two, uh, the more likely you're going to be the one that gets funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is going to be saying, you know, asking and answering why. Why do we want to do this and not that? Why is ours better than theirs? Why do we need to do any of these at all? Why isn't what we've already got good enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll mention too, there's something that, that uh, David Allen said. Um, I, I don't, don't know if this is actually in any of the books, but I know it's in a recording of one of his seminars, and I'll, I'll link to information about that in show notes, um, where he talks about, like, the big why of a company. Like, what's the purpose of your organization? Um, and he points out, like, you know, the, the, the justification for your project, the closer you can get the why behind your project to the why of the company, the easier time you're going to have defending your budget and, and resources to people above you. Mm-hmm. You know, the closer your why aligns with the why of the board of directors, the better off you're going to be relative to other projects that don't have that level of, of alignment. Right. I think even on a personal scale, too, um, you know, and these are big questions that we, we can pose to each other. Why are we here? What are we doing and why? Um, the I more ask myself every... that every time we record. <laughs> What am I doing? Um, <laughs> line. <laughs> Chet will cut all this out. Mm. Um, but yeah, the more things align, the easier it is. The less psychic space you have to use to talk yourself into stuff. Um, and your decisions get easier, I think, when things do have a clear purpose and you know the purpose going in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have to think about, okay, why am I wandering? Was I going somewhere? Do I need to be going somewhere? Mm. Um, yeah, you could actually hear me asking that sometimes when I'm going on and on on the show. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Was it? Well, that's like when my train derails, right? <laughs> that's a little different, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the issues. Yeah, uh, there's there's another another David Allenism that that just popped into my head as you were saying that. Um, that uh, I I think I think this is generally true. I don't know that I've really seen much practical effect of it in my life, but I mean, hmm. intuitively, it seems right. Um, uh, and actually, there's another author who has a good example of this that I'll, I'll share in a moment. But something that, that David Allen says is, if you know the why behind your goal or your project, um, the clearer you are about that why, the more options you have for how to get there. Um, so, you know, kind of counterintuitively, instead of, instead of getting specific and that, that pins you down to a certain course of action, the more specific you can get, the broader your courses of action are. Um, and his reasoning for that is if you know why you want this thing, then all of a sudden, you know, it's not just this one way you thought of that you could go get it. Anything in the world that could get you that could do it. You know, if the reason that you're doing this project or taking this job is because you need $100,000 to do X, Y, or Z in the company or in your life or whatever, I mean, there's a lot of ways, if, if that's really the only reason, there's a lot of ways to get $100,000. Um, <laughs> not all of which are easy or good or, or righteous or whatever, but, you know, um, if you are trying to build team cohesion, if, then that's why you want to do the project. I mean, there's a lot of other ways to build team cohesion, you know, Mm -hmm. and if this one's causing some friction among certain individuals on the team, then maybe throw this one out. You know, you don't have to be married to this course of action. Um, If the reason you're doing it is just because you thought this team builder was a really good idea, you know, (laughs) and being honest about that too, you know, will help you Mm -hmm. assess your options and and might not broaden things out. But, you know, if you go back to go up higher to the big why, well, why, why do you want a team builder at all? Mm-hmm. To build team cohesion. Well, there's lots of ways to do that. Right. Um, and the the example from another author I mentioned of, of that kind of idea that, that um, I think it's in the book You Can Have What You Want, um, which <laughs> is very reassuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Michael Neal. Um, I've mentioned him a few times before. And he talks about this idea of 
when you have conflicting wants within yourself, I think the same thing could be used, you know, among, among multiple people on a committee or a team or a company or in a family, um, just as easily. But the example he uses is just within yourself, having an argument with yourself. And, and his example is cheese fries. Um, you might find yourself at some point with the opportunity to eat a plate full of cheese fries and finding that you really want to, but you also feel kind of guilty about that, which implies that there's two parts of you that, that both want contradictory things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as he explains it, you know, the one way to go about resolving that is to ask those two parts of yourself as though they were two different people, you know, so why do you want me to have these cheese fries? And the answer might be something like, well, I think you should, you should experience some pleasure right now. You know, I think you're working hard and I think you deserve it. You know, and you could ask the other part of yourself, you know, why are you making me feel guilty about these cheese fries? And that part might say, well, you know, I, I know it's important to you to look good in bed, or I know you're trying to lose weight or what have you. Um, and, and what he points out is if you keep asking that why, if you go back and say, okay, well, why do you want me to experience some pleasure? You know, that part of you is probably going to say something like, well, because I want you to be happier. And if you ask the same of the other part, the part that makes you feel guilty, it's probably going to say something like, well, you know, you don't feel that great about how you look right now. And I want you to to be happier with how Mm. you look. And eventually you arrive at, you know, well, I really do only want one thing for myself. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, you can get a little bit creative and say, well, maybe I have a half order. Mm. Or maybe I look around and see if there's something else that I'm hungry for that would be a little bit more in line with my goals. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting way to think of that idea of um, getting at the same thing in different ways. Um, Because there, (laughs) being happy is two very different things, right? Mm -hmm. Being satisfied versus being healthy in a way. Um, You know, if we're thinking of uh, being at a more ideal weight means you're healthier, yada, yada, yada. Um, Eat less cheese fries. Um, so then it is, so at first I was thinking, it's like, well, that doesn't really clarify anything. You're still left with the conflict, right? You, yeah, you still do have to decide what to do at the end. But I, I think his point, and, and I, I don't know that it's necessarily true because I've never wanted cheese fries. So um, <laughs> I haven't okay, tried no. it with any food that I do want. Uh, but I think the idea is, is similar to David Allen's. Like if you get to that top level and you really get clear on what it is you want in this moment, um, you know, and it could go a different direction. Like, you know. The one part of you might say, well, the reason I want to have them is because I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. And and that's not so much in conflict with, but I want to look good in bed. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So you could solve both things by going for a run instead of eating the cheese fries. Yeah. Not that running, I'm speaking from experience. Boring. Running's not boring at all. <laughs> Said Max. <laughs> <laughs> in his non-running voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you don't hear my running voice. (laughs) Wheezy. Yeah, I think I'm on board. Yeah. Um, Well, so one example I was thinking of, um, and it's sort of obnoxious, so I don't don't need to get into details to summarize the situation, Um, but I'm part of a... Um, a group of faculty who's trying to make some decisions about curriculum for a particular class. Um, and this issue of purpose just will not go away because once you realize you've got an issue of purpose, it can't be resolved until you, you choose a path or you choose mm-hmm. an objective, I should say. Um, sure. Because once you choose an objective, then you know what paths are possible right. um, and effective and you know how to weigh and measure them. Um, but it's absolutely true. We cut, we keep circling around this question of why, because once we know that, um, Mm -hmm. then we'll know whether or not the proposal at hand is, is an effective one or not. Cause that's the issue is without the why, um, we could say anything's a great idea, you know? Yeah. Well, they might might all be great ideas, but you know, you, you can't do them all. Mm -hmm. So we could make our students read this book. Or, you know what, we could also have a circus every year. Or, you know what, we could also um, invite this person to speak on campus. I take it back. They're not not all great ideas. I I think the circus would be a terrible idea. Well, um, maybe you're just not in touch with our our campus's culture. Circus culture. Mm, Clown culture. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe I'm caught up on that word justify because 
it's a gesture that I, I, I defensively think of my work in terms of justifications. Um, and rightfully so, you know, you were mentioning, um, even if we think about, and, and this is true in higher education too, but if we think of, um, the business side of things, you have to be able to explain, um, why giving our time and resources to one thing over another mm-hmm. is valuable. We Absolutely. have to have ways of measuring these things. Um, Absolutely. Otherwise we'd never make decisions and we, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know if we're using those resources effectively. Yeah. Um, um, I don't, I don't know if I've talked about this on here about how much I'd like to poo poo the first world problems people. Um, and how, how useless I think it is to yell first world problem when somebody, you know, is complaining about something online. Um, mm-hmm. but the one grain of truth in that, in that, um, awful, horrible, misguided, unconstructive impulse to yell first world problem when a rich kid is complaining about his iPhone not working right. Um, the one thing that, that I, the one grain of truth behind it is like, we, we can't do everything. Like we can't solve everything. Not every problem is going to get enough attention. Mm-hmm. Um, not every cause is going to get fully funded, at least not today. Um, and, and yeah, you do, you do need to be able to justify why is your cause worth my attention? Mm-hmm. Um, why is your social media icon a red percent sign this week? What does that mean? <laughs> and what am I supposed to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and why mm-hmm. that? And why isn't it a blue hat? Mm-hmm. You know, the, those blue hat people, they, they still need your help. We didn't, we didn't solve that one when you changed your icon to a blue hat last week. So oh man, why is get- it a red percent sign now? <laughs> You're getting so sassy. <laughs> Love it. No, it's so true though. If you, so, so I think the, the other layer to this is you have to be able to communicate purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so wildly important. Um, I know, I know I've mentioned this before too about, um, I think we talked about it when we talked metrics, um, and different ways of, of measurement and communicating your value to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't just business douchebaggery. This is life. This is making connections. This is helping people understand um, how you see the world and what you think your role in the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't do these things, um, then yeah, bad things might happen to you and your resources, yeah. and and that absolutely in in a way is your fault. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, know. it's yeah, it's it's at, at least I fault I. Uh, I think that will turn some some people off, but I would say it's it's your responsibility certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you if you can't outsell somebody else on your value or the value of your project or the value of your program, I don't know that I'd say that's always your fault, but you're responsible for doing that, right? For sure, right? Um, I should, mm-hmm. you know, I, I and you know, if you if you abdicate that responsibility, then yeah, I think we can bring fault into it mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah. And I, I think there's, there's this idea that we shouldn't, you know, that something has gone wrong in our culture um, because we are in things like resumes as well as just what we do for a living. Like we're all always selling ourselves and our products and our work and everything to everybody else. And isn't there something wrong that we all have to argue for the value of what we do? Shouldn't we all be valued just because we're, you know, unique, important human beings and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I think there's, you know, where that, where that goes wrong is like, you are entitled to a certain amount of dignity and, and perhaps some, some basic necessities of life to be provided to you because you are a living human being. Um, I will absolutely agree with that for anything beyond, beyond just subsistence and, and, you know, however we define that for a given level of economic activity and a given time period and a given culture, um, for anything beyond that, we have finite resources, not everybody can be the president. Not everybody can, can you know, decide which toys are going to be on the shelf. Not everyone can choose what kinds of, of produce and what the mix of produce versus meat is going to be in the supermarket. Um, not everyone can decide, like, how strong a bridge needs to be. Um, you know, we need to I be able don't. to. <laughs> you need to be able to justify your, your qualifications to make that kind of decision, mm-hmm. to have those things. Um, whether, whether we think it's right or wrong that we're always selling ourselves and our ideas to everybody all the time, like you, you do need to do that because we don't have, we don't have the time and money and resource, and we certainly can't spare the human lives in some of these cases to let everybody just do whatever they want because they're a human being entitled to 
you know, the same dignity and, and attention that everyone else is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I should clarify a little bit because I, I wonder if some of what you're saying is uh, sort of to not counter what I, what I was saying. Um, I think I'm arguing with people who would argue with something you said. Okay. Okay. Because they because they've mistaken you. I I think I agree with what you've said. Yeah, yeah. So what I mean is not um, that if your your resources are taken away or you are not given support, that you have done something right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I believe this, and I tell my students all the time: you cannot control what other people think and feel and do. Right. You can't, and that's that's just a truism of life. And the sooner you you learn that, the better. However. If you are ready to throw your arms up and say, people don't understand my work, they don't see the value, and you're not willing to talk to people about it and try to help them understand, then you basically, I don't know that there's a phrase for this, uh, my brain shutting down, like build your own coffin, like is that a thing? Mm-hmm. I, like, <laughs> I, I like the verb I used a moment ago, abdicate. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know. I want something grimmer than that. <laughs> Because uh, uh, you've sunk your own boat. Oh my you're, God, uh, yeah. you're hammering the nail in your own foot. Uh, ooh, nope, nope. Let's cut all this out. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I know what you mean, though. Yeah, it's if you if you do abdicate that responsibility, you are you are authoring. You know, if you're not if you're not going to play the game, you can't win. Mm-hmm. You know, if if uh, you're not on the field, you can't score a goal. Thanks, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, there's some uh, some basketball talk for you. You um, bet. But doesn't abdicate mean that someone else takes up the power? Uh, well, or that's does the, it? That's the thing, though. I I think um, I do think in this case, abdicate is kind of the right thing, though. If if you if you give up your responsibility um, and privilege to defend whatever you're doing, uh, someone else will defend what they're doing, and and you know. They're not gonna. They're not gonna take up yours for you necessarily, but someone else is going to fill that airtime and get what was potentially yours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm probably overreacting to an argument that none of our listeners are actually making. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and I'm thinking of people who are not necessarily our listeners, but um, the, I don't know the the sort of martyrdom of of the misunderstood mm-hmm. work. Um, I don't, I don't buy into those narratives. I mean, they're, uh, and I sound like a jerk, cut all this out. Um, <laughs> there are things that are, are underheard and underrecognized, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about the people who refuse to try to help others understand their work and its value. Right. That is a problem. I'm a real artist, man. People <laughs> just wouldn't get it. Oh man, sort of like you were mentioning um, on another episode when people use terms in a way that they're going to presume that you know them slash they're trying to point out that you probably don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, same sort of thing. Like no one, no one's work is so mysterious or important that you can't try to help somebody else in another line of work understand it. Mm-hmm. If you can't connect it to their life, why would they care? Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, that's uh, sort of hearkening back to our discussion of measurement once again, though. Um, you know, I, I think you very rightly brought up. I'll, I'll bring up again, um, you know, things things like teaching. Um, nothing is so, you know, then I, I was saying that time, nothing is so valuable and so precious that it can't be can't be measured in some way, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to some degree of reliability you know, for the purpose of comparison. Um, I would say, I would say too, like there's no such thing as, as my work is too valuable to explain why it's valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if your work is self-evidently valuable, then, then yeah, you don't need to explain it, but then you also would be getting the funding without explaining it, you know? Right. Um, there's, there's no such thing as like my work is valuable, but there's no way to communicate that. It can be hard. It mm-hmm. can absolutely be hard. Um, but, you know, if you can't explain the why of your work and nobody wants it, then it really isn't that valuable and you should lose out. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if the loss is just time and attention and understanding, um, yeah, even if we're not talking about more tangible, high-stakes resources like money, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah. We, um, as a department, the department in which I'm a student, we were just having a conversation about um, how one of the best things you can be doing while you're preparing your um, materials for the job market and finishing up your dissertation and all these exciting things, one of the best things you can be doing is talking about your work every chance you get. Um, mm-hmm. So doing things like when you're, you're at Thanksgiving dinner and your Aunt Mildred asks what you're studying in school, um, you know, that can be, you know, like you said, that can be a mighty challenge to try to explain your 300-page work <laughs> that is like has you going cross-eyed every mm-hmm. other day. Um, right. to Aunt Mildred, who um, has been in the in her home for the past 75 years mm-hmm. um, and knows her, her domestic skills, and that's her realm. Um, but that could be a wonderful exercise. If you can explain what it is in a way that will connect with Aunt Mildred, mm-hmm. then you've just found, sort of like what I was saying before, you've just found a new way to express that why. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and, and it's a valuable skill. I mean, if you can, you know... If your 300-page dissertation is on some uh, completely obscure 17th century poet that, you know, no no contemporaries and very few of the, the writers of the Western canon cite as an influence, but, you know, you find her completely fascinating and love her work and have written 300 pages on it. If you can communicate to somebody not interested in literature of in that period, in uh, someone who's not deeply curious, going back to our previous episode on curiosity about a great many things, if you can communicate to, you know, Aunt Mildred or um, Uncle Jim, who is, you know, a businessman and does business and makes numbers for a living, um, if you can communicate to them why that's valuable and why it's interesting to someone, even if it isn't to them, that's just a hugely valuable life skill, I think. I mean, going back to what we've been saying over and over again, um, if you can if you can express what is valuable about this thing that no one else would even think to ask for, you are <laughs> ahead of the game in so many games that I don't even have a metaphor to mm. to jargon with right now. Um, all the games, <laughs> all the games. You win all the games. I mean, that's that is a hugely valuable skill, and that will serve you in academia. I'm sure it would serve you if you end up out in the private sector. It will serve you in a not for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of, I, I think if you, if you can explain why something that someone has no curiosity about and can't see any value in and does not relate to their world, why it is valuable in a way that they buy into, the world is your oyster. You could, you could sell just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're in a better position to continue pursuing obscure things at that point, because that's what you're going to have to do mm-hmm. is justify those resources to somebody who isn't going to immediately see it. Mm-hmm. And we should say too, um, you know, it helps that we are sort of 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 like mind about a lot of stuff like this anyway. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I've had conversations with people who, listening to a conversation like this, would feel like we're being manipulative or that we have sort of a scheming view of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this comes up in you know part of my field is rhetoric, and the whole idea is that any piece of communication is inherently persuasive, right? Everything has an argument to it, even if that argument is um, everyone ought to be more knowledgeable about blank, right? Mm-hmm. So even if the purpose of a piece is to inform, that is still a form of persuasion because you're you're insisting that someone knows something else right. that they didn't know before. So anyway, so I... I I could understand if, if this conversation sounds like we're suggesting... Um, that the best mode of practice is to walk through the world thinking about how you can manipulate it to reach your own ends. Um, and in a manner of speaking, yes, but we, <laughs> but I think we're also thinking about this in, um, in a way that's, that's collectively good for everyone. If everyone approached their work with a sense of passion and purpose um, that is grounded and connected to all of the other humans around them. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't that sound great? Mm, yeah, for the most <laughs> part. I mean, it, you know, unless they're unless they their their passion and they think their purpose is like you know an abattoir for other people. Um, in which case, I would say no. But uh, if if everyone has passion and purpose for something constructive. <laughs> Or or enough good sense not to pursue the non-constructive ones. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's sort I, of what I'm saying. If yeah. they're thinking of others, those things are going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I, I think you're right. We're, we're better off if people are asking these questions and able to express like what they come up with. And, and that's the thing is you might be wrong sometimes. Like we're, you know, going back to what I, I gave a little tiny caveat at the beginning about cognitive bias. Um, I think it's absolutely the case that you could ask why about what you're doing. Why, why am I doing this? Why is this valuable? And come up with an answer that is false. Uh, but if everyone is asking those same questions, you'll probably be less persuasive if you've landed on one of those false ones. You know, if we're all asking each other why and being honest about it, I think we will come out, come out ahead. We'll mm -hmm. be better off for it. Are you thinking um, of a particular example of a way it could be false? Well, um, I think we sometimes are not completely honest with ourselves about our reasons for things. Um, you know, we, um, it, going back to the job example, you know, um, and, and again, it's, it's very easy to, to conceptualize this as being dishonest with others. Like, you know, what's my objective statement if I am applying for a job as a paramedic? Well, um, it's, you know, really important to me that people who are hurting and, and, don't know what to do, you know, and, and aren't near help that we can go out and give them the help they need. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everyone deserves that. And, and I'm really passionate about it. Um, you, you might say that when in fact the reason you're applying for this job in particular and why you haven't changed careers, cause really you're burnt out as a paramedic is because you don't know what else you're good at and you got to pay the mortgage, mm -hmm. you know, but I think we can also do that to ourselves. Um, we can come up with a false why for why we're doing something. Um, you know, I, people, um, I've heard this said, I don't, I don't know any research specifically on it, but I have heard it said that people say they leave companies over money, but usually what they leave over is their manager. Um, and actually I do know one book that, the uh, Gallup book that cites a lot of research saying that getting along with your manager and getting along with your coworkers matters more than, than money or even what you're doing a lot of the time, hmm. um, for your likelihood of sticking with a, a particular job in a particular firm. Um, I, I do think that happens all the time though. Like we say, well, the money's not good enough. Well, it's really not about the money. Um, and, and if you can't stand your manager, you know, there's probably an amount of money that would make you stay forever, but any realistic amount of money, even much more than what you're making eventually won't be enough either. Sure. Um, that kind of thing. You know, where where you can come up with the answer for why you're leaving is the money. But unless you're really honest with yourself that, you know, it's more than that, that it's a personality thing, you're likely to end up in the wrong situation again. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's that's I, I, I always want to keep in mind when we start talking about reasons and motives and justifications that, you know, we are we are rationalizing machines. Um, mm -hmm. it, we can, we can make anything the right thing to do if we try hard enough. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm being very, being very dire again, aren't I? No, no, no. And I'm just thinking, um, when you started explaining it and I'm glad you did. Um, so thanks for that. It, I was thinking of, um, a sort of related study that I think was, um, Sheena Iyengar in The Art of Choosing um, cited about how after the fact, um, job seekers, so I think right out of college, college graduates who were going mm -hmm. on the job market, they had them rank their priorities in a new potential job. Mm -hmm. And then after they had found a job and settled into it after a while, they came back to those priorities and they asked them to report on some of them again. Mm -hmm. um, and they had radically changed to mm -hmm. fit the job they had gotten, of yes, course. Yes, But the tricky part was most of them believed that those had been the priorities all along. Mm -hmm. They had a sort of short-term memory tunnel vision type thing going on. <laughs> right, 100%. Where they couldn't remember the time where those things were not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, there's, there's um, a corollary to, to, you know, the sour grapes effect. Um the idea of, of writing off what you can't have and saying, well, it's probably not mm -hmm. that great anyways. Um, I think we do that with, with all kinds of things in all kinds of directions. You know, it's very easy to say, well, why am I sticking with this job? Well, it's, it's actually not that bad of a job. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard not to say that, you know, even if you're dissatisfied with it, if you observe yourself staying with it for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I'll try to, try to find this for, um, for uh, show notes. Um, I think, I think I've still got a textbook that cites it, so I probably can. Um, I believe there was research done in um, in attribution, like how we how we explain our behavior mm -hmm. um, in a park with a, with a, like a treacherous like suspension bridge 
um, you know, swaying way above a chasm or river or something, um, where there was the setting for this research. Uh, but anyhow, what they, what they did was, um, they approached, they had a female research assistant approach various male hikers in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of them, some of them had just done something, you know, fairly rudimentary, like crossed a normal bridge. Some of them had just gone across this scary suspension bridge. Um, and what they found was that the ones who had just gone through the scary experience tended to rate the sexual attractiveness of the research assistant higher mm -hmm. when they were asked about her later than the ones who were approached when they were kind of in a normal state. Um, and the reason for this is that the people who just gone through the, the more stressful crossing, you know, they, their pulses were higher, their, their hearts were pumping harder, um, they were breathing he more heavily, and whatever feeling, you know, all of them felt something positive about this nice person who came up and made nice conversation with them and asked them to participate in the study. Um, all of them were positively disposed towards her, but the ones whose bodies were aroused, their brains misread that arousal as being arousal. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and filled in the blank. Well, you know, I'm talking to this lady. I like this lady. Oh, and I'm also feeling all these physical sensations. Obviously she's very attractive. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas the people who are in a more normal physiological state, their brains did not make that error. Um, they just, they found her, you know, ordinarily attractive. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that we, we do all kinds of post hoc justification often that we're completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> we're, we're advocating that you ask why, but also saying just keep in mind, <laughs> you can be wrong. Mm -hmm. And cross more bridges. Cross more bridges. Mm -hmm. You'll find everybody much more attractive. Take more hikes. Take more hikes. It's uh, probably good advice just in general. Yeah, let's go but with that. But why? <laughs> because cheese fries. Mm, indeed. Mm, yes. Uh, that might have been in Susan Cain's Quiet because the I've bridge? read that recently. The bridge mm. thing, yeah. But yeah, I can't remember. Be. It could be. I've. It's in my social psychology textbook. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, I will have to take a look. Yeah, I just recently read that. I yeah, I know that's my social psychology textbook. What are uh, you doing you in betcha. my house? <laughs> yeah, because you only only the only copy of that book in the I whole do. world. It's mine. Aren't you special? Um. Uh, well, I'm probably <laughs> the only person who held on to one that particular one for 15 years. Could be. Um. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you said something about, about somebody, how, how, we, what we're saying might seem manipulative a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the, something that, that popped into my head then, I wasn't really thinking of it as manipulative, but a similarly negative thing that I guess manipulation is probably why most people see this as negative. Kind of how I was taking it is we're kind of saying that everything in life is sales, um, <laughs> which, which sounds very mercenary and capitalistic and Western and awful, I'm sure. To, to many people. But um, the one thing I would say to that, though, if, if that does sound like what we're saying and that sounds objectionable, is I would point out that that will be true no matter what kind of uh, economy and culture we live in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, if, if we are in a, uh, a Marxist utopia and everyone is, is equal, um, some people will be more equal than others, <laughs> to, to steal a phrase. Um, and those will be the people whose ideas are the most persuasive to those around them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, again, if it's actually the Marxist utopia, they probably won't have a bigger house or more stuff. Um, although somehow that always seems to happen when people try these ideas in real life, mm -hmm. just saying, um, but theirs will be the ideas that get listened to and their way will be the way that the community goes. Um, there is not a version of human intercourse in which it is not important to be able to explain and convince people of your why. Mm -hmm. So it is all sales. Suck it. <laughs> yes, yes. Put other ways, I'm thinking about how because these are social structures, there's always going to be some type of currency. There are always interactions and transactions. Um, you know, even if we're just talking about interpersonal relationships, as we mm -hmm. often do, um, you know, what is the purpose of a relationship in your life? Why, why is someone part of your life that Warm helps human you determine? Contact. Sorry. Warm human contact. Warm human contact. Warm fuzzies. Um, <laughs> so I, so I'm not literally a hermit. <laughs> nope. No, I mean, you're talking to me. Good job. Mm, yeah. Fair enough. Proud of you. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, but there are, yeah, there are these systems and things. If we podcasted and I, I didn't talk back when, when you spoke to me or asked me questions, then I'm not upholding my part of, of the transaction, right? It is not an interaction unless we're both contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that segues to a great question I had that I thought would be a, a fun way to run towards the end of this. Is it about my life's purpose? No, although I could ask that too if you'd rather. No, that's okay. I've been struggling with that. Uh, <laughs> well, I did, um, and I, I kind of thought we might touch on it here, but that's yet another topic we can table in the parking lot back burner. Um, is uh, is mission statements and and big life vision and that kind of mm. stuff. Um, and one of my favorite things David Allen ever said, which is, "You don't even necessarily need to have one, as far as he's concerned." Um, mm-hmm. Which is fun for a motivational guru to say. But uh, no, no, my question was going to be a lot more specific. Um, Why do we have this podcast? Mm. I took some notes on this. Hang on. Let me flip through my, the journal I just finished. (laughs) I just started a new journal. Isn't that exciting? Woo! A moment of transition. Mm. Um, No, I took notes on that one day. Um, Thinking about... What is it to me? Well, why did we start it? I'm going to pitch it back to you. Mm. I think we started it because four years ago, <laughs> I was at work listening to Roderick on the line, and I knew that you had gotten into back to work, but for some reason, listening to the show of Merlin Mans that you weren't listening to and that I knew you weren't listening to, it occurred to me that you and I should have a podcast. And so oh, I texted indeed. you that. And then three years later, we finally did it. Too funny. Um. No, I, I think I think the, the why we started it, um, I mean, at least for me, this is something I've wanted to do for more than 10 years, you know, since since the dawn of podcasting or, or the first moment shortly thereafter that I was aware of podcasting, I've wanted to do this. Hmm. Um, and I think in particular, we both developed enough of an interest in similar enough things um, and similar enough shows that I thought that you and I in particular could do you know, could at least make a good good go of it. Mm-hmm. So that's to me, that's why. Yeah. So for you, it was being part of this particular thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is this is a medium I enjoy consuming, and it's one that <laughs> um, I very foolishly thought I could do well. So here we are. Oh, <laughs> You. Mm. Uh, no, I think that goes for me too. Um, I. Don't think, you know, you're talking about how we, we sometimes don't know the why um, until later, if ever. Something that occurred to me after we got into it was I was thinking back on different moments where I've had different creative outlets available to me. So I've, I've pretty much always journaled, especially um, in my adult life, I always have. Um, so I'd consider that a sort of outlet where I do a lot of processing. I do a lot of thinking out loud to myself there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also blogged on and off as a young adult, especially not so mm-hmm. much recently. Um, I've written for various websites and publications, things like that, um, in ways that I was, that were not directly related to a job per se, um, or beyond just resume lines, that sort of thing. There were things I really wanted to do and I wanted the excuse to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for them, um, things like that. But I was thinking about how, um, this podcast for me is a venue for more thinking. It's a good mm-hmm. fit for me. So I found my notes in my, um, recently expired journal, you could say, <laughs> um, better throw it out soon. It's going to make the whole fridge smell. I know. Got to contain that stuff. Um, <laughs> rancid thoughts everywhere. <laughs> Um, no, I was thinking of lots of good, lots of good verbs. So I was thinking about how, for me, this is a venue to explore topics, questions, new ideas. Um, so there's that curiosity thing again that we talked about the other week. Um, it's a chance to share. So we've talked about, um, in a previous episode, we were talking about how do we know if we're, if we're doing the podcast. (laughs) And one of the things I was thinking about was, um, do I feel like I've offered, the listener, something interesting that I'm excited about. Have I offered them a piece of knowledge um, mm-hmm. or shared with them something new that maybe they could follow up on um, or implement or whatever? Have I offered something? Um, that's a cool purpose for me. Um, sort of an extension of my, my 
teaching self too. I hadn't thought of that till now. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I always try to think of, you know, what have I gotten out of this process and what do I think others have gotten out of this process? And if I can't answer that, then maybe I need to think about what was the purpose? What was the takeaway supposed to be? Mm. Or even if there was an unexpected takeaway, what was it? And is that mm-hmm. sufficient? Or do we need to push a little harder before we move on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is the episode done? <laughs> um, uh, I think it is. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> Nailed the foot in our own coffin. Yeah, something like that. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Um, this, this might go in the after show. This might not. I, I don't know. We'll have to see, but I'll, I'll throw one more reason for me in that, um, has come up in conversation with my wife. Um, one reason that I, I was happy to start the show when we did and am happy to continue it is I now have a conversation with you every week. <laughs> <laughs> no, sh- <laughs> Oh, Which man. I haven't necessarily been great about for our entire adult lives. So and I there's mean, there's a why. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, we just mm. it's easy to take people for granted, right? Mm, super easy for me. I'm an introvert. People schmeeple. <laughs> Give me a book. Did you read Susan Cain's Quiet? You know better than that. <laughs> Do I? You miser. Do I miser? <laughs> I'm just I'm just counting my my introversion, I guess. Your, yeah, your social energy. Uh, oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, that is a good analogy. You're you didn't read the book. You're good at this. <laughs> you should be a podcaster. Mm, I should start that someday. What's my purpose? What's my vision? What's my five year plan? <laughs> <laughs> We're back to communism. Better. <laughs> I was thinking more like finishing my PhD. <laughs> I'm so happy there's going to be so many bleeps. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. Thanks. (laughs) All right. I think that's good. Yeah.